Voices are exotic Dancers enter one by one Make love to all of your orifices In your seduction Hello and welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. In this episode entitled Exodus, we will chart our path from the very simple, as described in Genesis 2, abiogenesis, to our modern day selves. The big question we are answering is, who are we? Or perhaps, what are we? Of all the answers we've provided so far, this is probably going to be the most controversial. But that controversy is yet another straw man fallacy at work, propagated by those that would rather not be grouped in with other creatures like apes, gorillas, gibbons, and monkeys, especially monkeys. With their poo-flinging and prehensile tails, they hearken back to a time when we didn't know anything about anything. And when we watch the way in which monkeys often behave, it shows. Many of us don't want to see our past as just one of the many deviations from something like a modern-day monkey to what we see in the mirror every morning. It gets even more uncomfortable for some of us when we start to recognize our ape origins in the people we observe at social gatherings. The answer to this question is now personal. It now reflects back onto us directly. So directly, in fact, that we can see humanity's resemblance to other great apes in our children especially babies. A baby under the age of six months is almost identical to their bonobo and chimpanzee counterparts. Did you know you can tickle a baby bonobo and it laughs just like a baby human? Should we consider chimps and bonobos human? Psychologically speaking, that is a very difficult thought for our brains to ponder. I encourage you to take some time and research how closely baby humans, bonobos, and chimps resemble one another in their mannerisms, laughter, and play. Immediately, you will see why so many have gone to such great lengths to manufacture controversy fallaciously where it clearly doesn't exist. Again, there are many whose brains just don't want this to be possible. They don't want to think. However, all the evidence demonstrates that we evolved from the same things that chimps evolved from. We share a direct ancestor. This fact has been so difficult for humans to accept that even science itself had a problem with it at first. Our original classifications for chimps and bonobos before we decoded our genome and invented cladistics as a method to classify the, the diversity of life separated the two species from humans by organizing them into their own distinct genus known as pan. This was largely done superfluously. A more modern approach one that takes all the most current evidence into account, recognizes that it is possible that chimps and bonobos may actually be members of the genus Homo, or at the very least, only one or perhaps two clades removed. Here's a cringeworthy thought. As a point of fact, it may even be possible to interbreed humans and chimps, although it has never been successfully done. The point here is that the answer is clear. Our genome is 99% identical to a chimp's, and 98.7% identical to a bonobo. And our morphology is even more strikingly identical. While there are clades that separate us, the main one relating to brain size, we are almost exactly the same creature, and we shouldn't ignore this fact. One final thought regarding this matter, what I have just discussed hasn't even begun to tackle our kinship with other life. For instance, 
We're very closely related to rats. We share a common ancestor with carrots. And the list goes on and on. Again, I encourage you to investigate this matter on your own. Cladistics and genetics are wondrous fields of knowledge, detailing our ancestry with all the life that has walked, crawled, and swam this ancient earth. I will leave a resource for you in the description for this episode. This brings us to yet another rule we must follow when answering questions of this sort. We must divorce ourselves from our emotions, to some degree, when we consider the evidence that guides us to our conclusions. We must eliminate what we want the answer to be and instead accept the answer that the evidence provides, no matter how perplexing or uncomfortable that makes us feel. In a recent interview I had on Season 2 of this podcast, I spoke with someone who told me that when investigating the answers to these questions, he didn't like the answers the evidence was providing. He wanted the answers to be something else, something that accounted for more of how he felt in his daily life. Please notice how unreasonable and illogical this approach is when solving any question worth asking. It never matters how you feel. It only matters what you can demonstrate to be true. And the only demonstration that matters is that which takes into account all the evidence available. Evidence, by its nature, is factual, meaning that it can be agreed upon by everyone. Now, there are always detractors, usually those that would prefer not to address evidence directly, but instead want to engage in make-believe. So in order to be intellectually honest with ourselves and others, we must shed that bias and take a long, sober look at the evidence to soak it all in and accept that we are what we are. And that is pretty remarkable in and of itself. And now let's answer the question, what are we? The best answer to this question is, we are homo sapiens. Again, simple, brief. And you needn't say more lest you are provoked. You may, if you like, allow the questioner to fill in the blanks with their own understanding. As with our previous two answers in Genesis 1 and 2, the shortest answers provide us with many benefits. They are 100% correct. They are simple. And, perhaps most beneficially, they're easy to remember and repeat. However, if you are then asked, well, what is that? Then you have a wonderfully rich answer that completely and wholly defines what a homo sapiens is down to the minutest detail. In the description, I've provided a list of all the clades to which humanity belongs. There are 46 in total. I've also included a link to a series on YouTube that goes through each clade step by step, providing intricate details and ideas for further thought. I highly encourage you to investigate this list on your own and watch the series referenced. In the meantime, here is a truncated list of our clades. Starting with Eukarya and highlighting some of the clades that you may be familiar with, we are Bilateria, Vertebrata, Amniota, Mammalia, Placentalia, Primata, and finally, Homo sapiens. The list on the screen right now are all the clades that we currently belong to. In those clades, or classifications, we are completely indistinguishable from one another. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what our sex or gender or color or creed, and no matter where we currently live, we are all Homo sapiens. And remember, a Homo sapiens is comprised of all these clades. While this is the most robust description of humanity ever discovered, many of these words are completely unknown by almost everyone. 
including me. So let's unpack this answer a little to get into the particulars. I will leave this list of clades in the description below. Please take a moment and look up some of these words. Marvel at the rich details provided for you and keep in the front of your mind that each one of these describes you personally. Before we unpack any one clade, I want to share with you this definition that brings us all the way through to primates. This clade will likely be known to most of you and is sometimes used as a synonym for Homo sapiens. It's important to remember that all Homo sapiens are primates, but not all primates are Homo sapiens. So it is appropriate to use primate as a synonym, but it would also be appropriate to use another clade like bilaterians. One interesting side note here is that the scientific method has uncovered that bilateral symmetry is largely responsible for the human concept of beauty. Thanks to our bilaterian ancestors, we perceive beauty as symmetry. I mention this only to highlight how a firm understanding of science, cladistics in this case, can shed light on so much of our human experience. Bilateria is only our fourth clade, historically speaking, and therefore one of our least complex. In fact, one interesting way to consider these clades is that the more ancient you get, generally, the more simple the life form. This doesn't mean that we are the most complex life form on the planet, but it does mean that our life, along with all others, evolved from a much more simple organisms. Now let's get to that more elaborate definition. Primates are collectively defined as any gillless, organic, RNA, DNA, protein-based, metabolic, metazoic, nucleic, diploid, bilaterally symmetrical, endothermic, digestive tripoblast, opisticont, deuterostrome collimate with a spinal cord and 12 cranial nerves, connecting to a limbic system in an enlarged cerebral cortex, with a reduced olfactory region inside a jawed skull with specialized teeth, including canines and premolars, forward-oriented fully enclosed optical orbits, and a single temporal fenestra, attached to a vertebrate, hind leg dominant, tripoidal skeleton with a sacral pelvis, clavicle, and wrist and ankle bones, and having lungs, tear ducts, body-wide hair follicles, lactal mammaries, opposable thumbs, and keratinized dermis with chitinous nails on all five digits on all four extremities, in addition to an embryonic development in amniotic fluid, leading to a placental birth and highly social lifestyle. That is a direct quote from a book called The Foundational Falsehoods of Creationism by Arne Ra. Again, many of these words may seem foreign to you, but the description above is exactly you, right up until the clade primata. The following 10 clades after primata further distinguish you from the other primates, but you never escape the fact that you are still a primate. You will always be a primate, and so will all of your ancestors. Let us now grab a couple of examples from the clades I listed above and look into them further, starting with bilateria. Bilateria are animals with bilateral symmetry. Again, simple. You are bilaterally symmetrical. So are a multitude of other creatures like dogs, leeches, and birds. Now that you are armed with this knowledge, you can literally take one look at a creature and assess, at least in part, your common ancestry with it. The next time you go fishing, you can look at a leech and know, without any doubt, that you share an ancestor with that leech, due to the fact that both you and the leech are bilaterally symmetrical. The evidence is literally squirming in your hand. There are further details to this clade, such as having a head end, 
or mouth, a tail end or anus, and a gut that connects the two ends, all encapsulated in a cylindrical body. Does that sound familiar? It should. That's you. Let's grab another clade from the list. How about Reptiliomorpha? Reptiliomorpha are characterized in three ways that mirror our own morphology. Narrow premaxillae, vomers that taper forward, and phalangeal formulae of the foot. Let's start with premaxillae, which is a small cranial bone at the tip of the upper jaw that often bears teeth. We have this bone, as do the other species of the clade Reptiliomorpha. Species that first evolved about 340 million years ago and still persist to this day as us, but also as elephants. Before we move on to another clade, let's take a moment to revel in the richness of language that we are exposed to when reading about cladistics. Consider phalangeal. What an interesting word. I picked this word because I thought it would be the most known to you. But don't ever let an unknown word detract and deter you from understanding new concepts and ideas. Take these seemingly foreign words and learn about them. Look them up. Read about what they mean. Plug them into the overall concept of what reptiliomorpha means and keep doing those steps until the words themselves seem to become second nature. If you truly want to know what you are and where you came from, this is a method for finding the answer, and we must come to know it, in all its grandeur, to the best of our ability. Now let's get back to some more clades. Let's consider Katarhini. This might be the most controversial of the clades above. This is because it demonstrates that we, in fact, evolved from monkeys. Old world monkeys, to be exact. The distinction being that our nostrils faced downwards rather than sideways. We never had prehensile tails, and our teeth follow a 2-1-2-3 pattern. That's two incisors, one canine, two premolars, and three molars on each side of your upper and lower jaws. We also live in social groups, sleep at night, and are active during the day. Finally, we have grasping hands, and we are apes. Keep in mind that not all Cartagini are apes, but all apes are Cartagini. To be more specific, ape describes a tailless of larger stature and ground-dwelling species of Cartagini. This should all sound very familiar now. Look in the mirror and count your teeth. Don't forget your wisdom teeth. Notice which way your nostrils point, downward. Turn around and check your rear end. Do you see a tail? No? Then you're looking more and more Cartagini to me. After reviewing this clade, there should be no question that you were definitely Cartagini which means that you descended from old world monkeys, which also means that you are still an old world monkey right now. So try not to be too offended by this fact. After all, there's nothing wrong with being a monkey. The long list of clades above describe what you are and where you come from. But the short answer is that you evolved. You evolved from the same things that everything else did and in accordance with the same processes starting from basic cell walls, spontaneously forming around ribonucleotides and amino acids, and arriving right where you are at this moment. Probably wondering, who is this weirdo that I'm watching, and why is that goatee? Or perhaps you're having a scratch. I could go on and on regarding the clades above, and perhaps I will in future episodes. But for now, we have enough to arm ourselves with the answer to the big question posed earlier. Our cladistic and genetic history tells the story of our exodus through time to our modern-day form. 
It gives us multitude of facts to learn and highlights points where our genetics and morphology changed so that we could become what we are today. Somewhere along the way, a fusion happened at chromosome 2 that very likely led to our mouths being different shaped and our brains enlarging to the point where we were able to invent language, abstract thought, and information stored externally from our brains. We charted a path through our prehistory and into the modern day by leveraging those unique changes. And we should be proud of that, or at least grateful. Again, we are very special creatures. Creatures that evolved very distinctly from our closest ancestors, despite the fact that we are genetically and morphologically nearly identical to them. We cannot describe our ancestors without first describing ourselves. So take some time away from your scratching and smile, knowing that you are a wonderful chordate, snacking on chips fed through a digestive system that formed deuterostromically. And try not to scratch your blastopore and then dig around in your optical orbits because that can lead to pink eye. And we know all of this because we invented the scientific method, which we will cover in the next episode, Leviticus. Thank you, and this has been Ear Seduction.